The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode number 205 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm Andy Bonello, pinch hitting for George Reedus. I want to emphasize that all the pins expressed in the show are my own and that that of my president or passive players. I'll never disclose any sensitive intelligence that are privileged to as a result of my current employment. And I'll never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government. And nothing I say during this show should be construed as legal or financial advice. Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed last week's episode number 204 with Mr. Jeremy Kroll, Reimagining Risk Management. I was fortunate enough to have the co-CEO and deputy board chair of K2 Integrity, Mr. Jeremy Kroll, join me on the show last week to talk about how CEOs are reimagining risk management as we move into the next wave of the ongoing health crisis. Had a chance to dive into the importance of empowering CEOs and board members to understand cybersecurity in a business context so they can make sound investments, as well as understanding how the geopolitical and policy landscapes are impacting businesses today. Jeremy and I finished up the show sharing his perspective on the future of cryptocurrencies and how to manage those risks. All this and much, much more in episode 204 of Task Force 7 Radio. All right, folks, we got another great return guest for you tonight. I'm super excited to have the Chief Analytics Officer of X Analytics, Bob Vessio, back on the show with me tonight. It's always great to have Bob on, longtime friend, super, super smart guy. I love sharing his perspective. Bob is recognized as one of the industry's foremost experts in the area of cyber risk economics. <clears throat> Bringing more than 20 years of experience to his role at SSIC and X Analytics, Bob is responsible for the creation and development of X-Analytics, the company's proprietary patented method for measuring and modeling cyber risk. Now, folks, this model is used to underwrite billions of dollars of affirmative cyber risk insurance, produce board-level cyber risk analysis, and quantify risk across numerous portfolios. Previously, Bob served as the Global Director of Verizon's Advanced Security Services, Verizon's Security Management Program, and Verizon's Managed Security Services Client Services Team. In his tenure, he was responsible for pre-sale support, product management, service delivery, operations, quality assurance, risk modeling, and executive sponsorship. It's my pleasure to introduce Chief Analytics Officer of X-Analytics, Bob Vessio. Bob, welcome to back to Task Force 7 Radio, buddy. Yeah, Andy, thanks for having me back again. Man, you know you're always welcome on the show. It's great to connect again. <laughs> you know, you're always getting good stuff out there for the industry. X-Analytics has really taken off and... It's been fun watching it grow and you just, you know, remember, you know, when you invented it and we were like, hey, man, check this out. I'm like, oh, this is going to be so cool. Um, and you're just you're doing really great things and revolutionizing, you know, third party risk and do all this stuff. And I just love watching your growth. So I w- want to bring you back on and talk about, you know, systemic cyber risk. You know, we hear about it all the time, you know, plays itself out in the ransomware conversation or, you know, when data centers are down or new toolkits get released that are going to be weaponized across border, cross sector, like, but like what, what really is systemic cyber risk and, you know, what, what can we do about it? Yeah. First of all, Andy, thanks for the compliments uh, in the opening segment. Um, you know, transferring to systemic risk, <clears throat> I, I feel like there's a lot of confusion 
around systemic risk um, through participations, like through the Internet Security Alliance, conversations we've had with DHS. You know, I think there's a lot of different definitions that are floating out there, Andy, which is part of the problem. Um, it does seem like anytime there's something big, people want to call it systemic or, you know, if something happens to core infrastructure, like for DHS and they want to call it systemic. Um, but in reality, you know, whether it's economic systemic risk or cyber systemic risk, um, it does have to represent the whole component. So that means that um, there is a risk event that brings down the entire internet or at least a huge portion of the internet. Um, it's not the individual failures of servers, applications, networks, right? Certain internet service providers. And, and I think it's important to, to separate those two things entirely. Um, you know, the other part of it too is um, systemic risk could come from one singular event that causes really, really broad impact. Uh, a great example of that would be say like a solar flare, uh, that then causes an electromagnetic discharge, uh, which takes out, let's say, the entire western side of the United States. Um, you know, that could be considered a systemic event. Um, but it could also be a series of cyber attacks, uh, which I think has been the concern around things like solar winds. You know, what happens if there was sort of this series of events that started to take place and then one by one parts of the Internet, at least the Internet ecosystem that we know it, started to come down? Um, you know, then what would be the catastrophic result of such an event. So, you know, I want to be clear, it could be something that's from a singular event or at least a series of events that lead to a whole shutdown of the internet, or again, at least a huge portion of the internet or internet ecosystem. So, you know, it brings up the, the question, you know, we talk, we talk risk, privacy, security, um, you know, a lot of times these organizations are all separate, right? Physical and cyber aren't always converged in every organization, but yet we talk about managing, in essence, converged risk through, you know, these, these different types of hazards, if you will, that would exist that could create, you know, whether it's an environmental incident or a, you know, cyber attack or, you know, a weather, or, you know, a, um, some sort of misconfiguration, right? All these things that, you know, are managed to some extent independently in, in different companies, right? And how they set themselves up. Like, how are you seeing companies set, set themselves up to, you know, in essence, manage these risks? You know, I think there's, in, in pretty much every large business, I think there's really sort of three things that are happening. Um, you know, the first one is they do have certain third parties. Um, you know, members of their supply chain ecosystem in which they're keeping a close eye on. Um, and, you know, there's due diligence, there's things written up in the contracts that help protect their particular use of whatever that service happens to be. Um, but, but there is noticeability of it, right? There is at least somebody is paying attention to it. Um, the, the second is I think that there's a whole bunch of things that are out there that they want to get to in terms of better understanding what it means to their business. And they want to work with the business leaders and get a better understanding of, you know, is the supplier uh, 
holding data for us. And if there was an outage, does that cause any problem or is it just really a data breach that's a problem? Um, or do we have certain suppliers that directly impact revenue? And if they were to go down, then you know what would that mean for us? Um, and, and I think that that's sort of a big question mark. They just don't really know. You know, they they have a sense of what's out there, but nobody's really taken the time to to document it. And you know, we're seeing um, companies that don't have you know 10, 30, 50 suppliers. We're seeing companies that have 700, 3,000, 5,000 suppliers. Right, so like really significant numbers. Um, and maybe just a handful are well understood, and then a bulk of them are not understood. Um, so clearly, you know, how can you even define that risk if you're not even sure what it is? Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the last one, Andy, is, um, is I think it's just unknown. You know, like, I, I don't even know if there's companies out there that really know who all their suppliers are. You know, contracts have been signed over the years. People leave the company. People are surprised. Oh, we do business with company X. I didn't know we did business with company X. So I, I think there's also a little bit of mystery out there where there's just certain connective items to an organization that the organization is completely unaware of, or at least the upper management and corporate directors are completely unaware of. Yeah, it's like that old, uh, we, we walk into a data breach scenario, right? We go into the IR and we're like, man, we thought we turned that server off years ago. <laughs> right. Why is that thing still yeah. connected? Well, you and I, you and I had a shared client years ago that did that, right? Started yeah. to identify stuff that nobody would claim and just would turn it off. And then all of a sudden he found out who the owner was. So that's right. You know, maybe there's some wisdom in that method. Yeah. When somebody yells that it, it it'll it'll <laughs> they'll take ownership. That's right. That's right. <laughs> um so you know, in your in your your latest uh LinkedIn posts, you you put out you know, something around, around this topic, but then you, you, you kind of talked about four risk treatment options for any risk, not just cyber. Um, Go into that a little bit. Yeah. And, you know, Andy, I just want to give a little background too. I mean, the reason I wrote that uh, LinkedIn post or blog was that I just kept hearing systemic risk coming up in meetings and it would sort of be used in sort of a past tense way. Like, Oh, you know, if we had time, we could get the systemic risk. Um, but, you know, even when people were saying that, I wasn't really sure that they knew what they meant by it, um, or if I knew what they meant by it. So, you know, the spirit of putting this out there was to try to level set some of the conversation, but, you know, like any risk, um, you know, you really have three major choices that we all talk about, right? You can accept the risk, uh, you can mitigate the risk, or you can transfer the risk. And, And today in cyber, sort of the biggest representation of transfer is cyber insurance. You know, mitigation is just put better controls in place. And then finally, accept. you just look at it and say, you know what, that risk isn't really something that we're that concerned about. And we're not going to continue to invest more money in it. Our current investment seems to be fine. And if something happens, you know, we'll just, uh, we'll just deal with it. It's not a big deal, right? It's, it's something that we can sustain as, as a business. Um, but, um, but when we talk about systemic risk, um, you know, there is this notion of um, diversification, which, you know, if, if you look at sort of um, old uh, risk modeling language from some of the consulting firms, they might even refer to this as avoid. Um, you know, what's a way that we could avoid a particular risk? And, and then that's where they would start to sell in their business continuity plans, disaster recovery solutions, as an example. Um, but really what we're talking about is diversity. Um, at least that's the way that I'm simplifying it. And what I mean by that is, 
Um, you know, if you're worried about if your internet service provider goes down and that's going to completely put your business uh, at pause, then maybe it's a good idea to have two different internet service providers. So if Verizon goes down, then maybe you're still functional because you have Cox or AT&T or, you know, whoever it happens to be. Um, and the same is true with data centers. Uh, you know, if, if you have data centers uh, on the West Coast, maybe it's a really good idea to have data centers in other parts of the world uh, or at least the United States. So if there was a major earthquake or a solar flare, like I mentioned earlier, um, then you're able to do a failover and, and still have your business up and running. And the reason I bring up diversity um, is because we have seen in the last several years, we have seen where there's been big outages. Um, you know, clearly Facebook, uh, through a human error event, had an outage, took down their most popular tools, including WhatsApp. And some people depend on WhatsApp for business, especially international business. Um, <clears throat> there's been uh, examples in the Northeast where Amazon Web Services has gone completely down. Of course, you know, the Northeast is probably their oldest of all of their cloud infrastructures. Um, so maybe it's a little buggy. So when they're doing um, code releases, it's just a little prone to, to some human error-based events. But nonetheless, you know, it's happened. Um, and if there was a failover to another Amazon Web Service, say on the West side, of the country, then um, then they'd be able to sort of shake it off and, and continue to move on. So my advice through the blog was really diversification is your only answer to systemic risk. Um, if there's any major outage, um, it's diversity that really is your your failover mechanism, so to speak. Man, I, I love this conversation. We're and we got to take another short. We got to take a short break, though, bro. We're we're gonna hit it back really hard on the next segment. So hey, if okay. you if you uh, if you're a social media junkie, don't forget to follow TF Seven Radio on your favorite social media platform. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. We're searching at TF Seven Radio on, and you'll be connected to the extended TF Seven family on your favorite social media platform. For inquiries regarding sponsoring the show or suggestions for topics or guests, please email George directly at george.redis at tf7radio.com. That's george.redis at tf7. That's the number seven, folks, radio.com. We're going to pause for some quick messages from our sponsors, and we'll be right back with Chief Analytics Officer of X Analytics, Bob Vessio. So whatever you do, whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 Hacker Innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Sinet, S-I-N-E-T. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. 
However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's Task Force 7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with Chief Analytics Officer of X-Analytics, my dear friend, Bob Vessio. All right, buddy, we talk about diversification here. And, you know, in essence, you're basically saying, don't put all your eggs in one basket, bro. That's what you're saying, right? So That's what I'm saying, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, look, when we're, when we're going for security budgets and we're, we're talking about managing risk and... We get in the office, the boardroom, we start talking solar flares and we start talking uh, electromagnetic pulses and, you know, massive outages where, you know, data centers are down for across the the country on the whole Eastern seaboard, like all this stuff, right? Like, how do we do that? How are you advising folks to do that without basically doing it through FUD? You know, that fear, uncertainty and doubt, like just trying to scare everybody. Yeah. And, and by the way, I can't stand the FUD in our industry, right? I mean, as you and I have talked about many times going back years, yeah. um, you know, I, I, I think there's some things that people just need to be straightforward about if we're talking about systemic risk. Um, you know, the first one is we are talking about an extremely low probable event, but it is plausible. It can happen. Um, you know, sometimes really horrible things happen. Um, and you know, there's, there's evidence of it, right. Hurricanes hit places like Miami, um, you know, going way back in history, a meteors hit earth. Right. So, you know, those are lower probable events, but, but they do happen. Right. And so, um, you know, I think that, um, you know, that's one part of it is we do have to talk about this as being, um, something that is low probability, but is catastrophic. And, you know, if that's something that the business wants to pay attention to, then then they have every right to pay attention to it. If they just want to ignore it and accept the fact that, you know, if it happens, the world's in a very different place anyways, and we don't really care, then, you know, that's another choice as well. 
Um, I just think it needs to be presented so that the executives and the corporate directors can make a decision that's comfortable for them. Um, you know, that's one part of it. I, I think the other part of it too is that, you know, diversification comes with a cost. All uh, risk options besides accept come with a cost, right? So, you know, if you transfer, there's a cost to buy insurance. Uh, there's a cost of the retention if you file a claim. Um, if you mitigate, there's a cost of implementing new technologies or implementing better controls. So, you know, everything has a cost. So what I would recommend is, you know, what the cost of diversification is. And when you look at it on the bigger scale of, um, of risk in the business, especially if you're looking at risk in, in financial terms, and really what I'm talking about here for the most part is business interruption, right? Um, when you look at that business interruption category of, of cyber loss, then um, you start to, to make a, you know, a, a decision of if I were to invest by having two internet service providers and by having that redundancy, by having that diversification, does it improve my expected loss? And if it improves expected loss enough that it justifies the cost of the second internet service provider, then I think that's a really simple thing to convince others of. Um, now, on the other hand, you know, if that secondary internet service provider um, is way more expensive than any sort of expected loss improvement, especially related to business interruption, um, then maybe it's something the business decides not to do. But, but I think that's a very intimate decision per organization and the role of uh, CRO and CISOs out there in the industry really just should be to present the data. And when they present the data, you know, look to see how the organization decides to make a decision on it. And that decision may change as time goes on. You know, the, the, with the, all the ransomware events that took place here in 2021, I think that some of the decisions that companies made two years ago are very different than they would make today because of new evidence that sits in front of them. So, so really, that's my recommendation, right, is, is that you just have to be honest about the details. Yeah, and, and those details are founded in financial detail. Right. At least I think that's the best way to communicate it. You know, when you say, you know, if we were to have a solar flare, it's extreme. I don't think most people know what that means. Right. But if you said, hey, you know, if the entire western side of the United States went out because of a solar flare, you know, and all of our data centers, everything that we run is on the western side of the country, uh, we would be completely out until that's repaired. Um, which could be weeks, could be a month, right? It's hard to say. Um, but then all of a sudden, you know, somebody may be like, well, we can't, like, we, we can't allow that. And by the way, it's not just solar flares. It could be an earthquake. It could be lots of things that takes out the West Coast, right? Yeah. So, um, you, you know, you start to, I think you have to start to look at it in that sense. But financial is the way to look at it. What, is, what does our business look like? And, and what would we potentially have to report out to our shareholders if we're a publicly traded company, if such an event were to take place? So, so I'm, I'm definitely seeing continued guidance around, you know, boards needing to be briefed in financial terms as it relates to cyber risk exposure. Um, and, and I feel like there's a, there's a bit of a shift in the CISO community where, you know, maybe five, six years ago, maybe five, maybe 10% of that community would even entertain having a financial you know, cyber risk exposure type of conversation, you know, I feel like it's shifting a bit now, maybe probably more into the, 
I don't know, 35, 40%. Like what, what are you seeing out there when you're talking to, to other, you know, CISOs around their willingness to adopt, you know, moving away from talking about, you know, systemic risk in like grandiose terms or FUD and moving away from just talking like threat vulnerability and incidents. Like how are you helping them translate this? And are you seeing more cyber executives willing to adopt that, that mindset? Yeah, you know, Andy, I think we're dealing with 40 years of stoplight um, reporting. And when I mean <laughs> say stoplight reporting, I mean, you know, it's red, yellow, green. Yep. Um, you know, or it's something else that's similar, but you know what I mean. Yep. Um, and, and I think that's a really hard thing to pivot away from. Um, you know, it's, it's embedded in the culture of cybersecurity and and. You know, there's just a lot of, well, but this is the way we've always done it. We need to continue to, to do it that way. Um, I think gradually things are changing. Um, I, I don't know if the number's at 40%, Andy. You know, I haven't seen surveys that would indicate that. I mean, just standard maturity on cyber risk, like when you see the maturity reports come out from like some of the big consulting firms or analytic firms, um, you know, they're putting cyber maturity like between a two and a three on a five point scale. So, you know, I think as that gets closer to a three, that's probably more folks talking about cyber in economic terms. Um, and I think there's going to be some things that could sort of serve as an accelerant to that. Um, class action lawsuits coming from activist shareholders who get really upset that um, organizations say, well, we can't really you know, put a financial figure on a data breach or a business interruption event or a ransomware incident. <clears throat> you know, I, I think there's a, the, there's activist shareholders that are losing patience for that. Um, and as that behavior continues, then I think there's going to be a push. Uh, and there's already some of a push from the SEC, but a further push from the SEC to do better reporting around cyber incidents and report if there is a material event and what that material event looks like. And by the way, there's some wonderful examples of that uh, where companies are very clear in their quarterly reports about what that means. Um, so I, I'm seeing a shift, but but I think it's not, I don't think it's at that 40% mark yet. I think it's much lower than that at this point. So, you know, you mentioned the, the you know, ransomware threat and the uptick 20, you know, in 2021, kind of what what's what are you seeing there in terms of like, you know, maybe percentages or like dollar values of impact on going, you know, you know, are people now like all of a sudden at, at you know, $300 million more exposed than they were in 21 going into this year? Like, what do you, what, what are you seeing, you know, in the shift? Yeah. Um, you know, the data on ransomware has been sort of up and down, for the last year, you know, there's there's times that we see a lot of reporting on ransomware, and then there's times that we've seen sort of uh, a downtick on those statistics. Um, but I think ransomware, there's really two perspectives on it from the whole insurance community. They're talking about ransomware because ransomware has really kicked them in the teeth from their portfolio perspective. Um, where, you know, clearly they're raising rates to cover the losses and claims that they had to deal with in 2021. And that's been reported all over the place at this point. And, and, um, and so I think the insurance industry is looking at ransomware as like this really horrible thing that needs to be addressed. And, and it's, uh, you know, it's something that just outpaces everything else that's happening. 
Um, when we look at the data at large, we're not really seeing that same thing, Andy. And, and, and I think part of that is people have ransomware covered in their insurance policies, so they're filing claims against what they have coverage for. Um, and that's always from an outsider, so it's never you know, a malicious insider. It's never related to human error, which sometimes can be embarrassing for companies. So they're always following those claims. But there's a whole nother sort of thing that's happening out there where there is a lot of, you know, business interruption things that are taking place that just get underreported because, you know, they don't want to file a claim against it for lots of different reasons. It's before the waiting period or it's below the retention. Um, but, um, but these are things that are legitimately happening uh, and do have a financial cost. And, and so the reason I'm saying all this, Andy, is that I think that, you know, when we look at the big picture of cyber incidents and all of the losses that can come from cyber incidents, yes, ransomware is there, but whether it's something that is truly significant and that an organization needs to pay attention to as its most costly cyber loss category, I think varies greatly from one company to the next. And, and the profile of that business um, can shift it rapidly from ransomware to something like theft of intellectual property or business interruption. I mean, clearly there's organizations um, and financial services where if they go down for two days, they're out of business. They cannot go down. They cannot be down for two days just because of how many contracts, you know, financial contracts are executed on a daily basis. Two days would completely kill their business. Um, and so, you know, I think it's important that, um, to note that it's not just a ransomware problem. There, there really is a much bigger problem that's probably being way underreported at this point. So, so where do you think that, where, do, where does it go from here, right? Like <laughs> if, you know, the, the threat's still there, it's being underreported, losses are incurring, companies are, you know, being kind of taking the hit on the, you know, maybe the premiums and the increase in insurance, like, where do you, where do you see, how do you see this playing out over the next couple of years? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think in terms of ransomware, you know, it falls back to the basics. If you really look at the ransomware events that have taken place, they're not overly sophisticated. And Andy, I mean, you know, this world better than I do, right? The, from the legal side and the forensic side, but they're really not that sophisticated, right? The, the, the way into the organization is because they got uh, credentials from an employee who was terminated from the business or, you know, left the business and those accounts were never disabled, right? Or it was a simple phishing mechanism. Um, and so I, I do think that it that companies need to continue to focus in on the basics. The basics have been true since the beginning of the 2000s. And I think they're just as true today in 2022 as they were in 2001. Um, and, and the basics do matter. So that that's one part of it. And I, and I think, I hope for what the ransomware events that took place last year, that people do ensure that they at least have the basics in place, default deny, they're patching systems, they're doing security awareness training, right? All those basic things that we've been talking about for, for 20 years at this point. Um, so that's one part of it. I, I think another part is I think there's a really big question that's being raised out there. Do we pay these extortions? Because, you know, theoretically, if you stop paying the ransom, then ransomware probably would cease to exist. Um, but if you pay the ransom, then you're just promoting a criminal industry uh, because there's a way to make some fast money. Um, so, you know, I, I do think that it's important to um, it, it's really important to determine holistically, uh, do we as an industry encourage paying those ransoms, uh, whether it's through insurance or otherwise, or do we really look to stop fueling that criminal 
industry. Um, and Andy, you know, with your government background prior to cybersecurity, you know, that's something that you guys talked about in the government. You know, if somebody was kidnapped, do we, do we negotiate with the kidnapper? Um, right. and, and I think that's sort of the same thing that's taking place here. We, we've been willing to pay, right? As an industry, we've been willing to pay. And so we've promoted uh, the industry, the, this ransomware industry for what it is at this point in time. Um, so I'm hoping, uh, again, here in 2022, that organizations start to decide not to pay. Yeah. You know, unless they want to... Yeah, yeah, go ahead, Andy. Those are, yeah, there's a lot of think tanks are coming together around this topic right now, right? Because they're like, how do we you know, demonetize this? How do we make the, the incentives go away? <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's going to be a long road, I think. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the other thing, too, is I know ransomware, again, you know, it's hitting the insurance companies harder. Uh, so they're talking about it, right? But, um, you know, I, I think there's a lot of companies that are having ransomware events. And, yeah, it, it's newsworthy. Um, insurance really isn't covering it, right? You know, I see this all the time in the reports that, oh, we had a $105 million ransomware event. And our insurance was $5.7 million, right? You know, so yeah. I, I see this sort of thing all the time. But but I do think there's a lot of companies that are getting ransomware events and they're just shaking them off, you know, and 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 they decide, and this is another risk management technique that I didn't even mention earlier. They just decide, you know what, for the rest of the year to make up for that loss of revenue due to the business interruption from ransomware and that extortion that we had to pay we're going to raise all of our prices by 3%. And for the rest of the year, if we just raise our prices by 3%, we'll cover that entire loss and we'll make um, everything whole back to the shareholders. So I think there's also that reality that's going to take place. People are just going to accept the fact that this may happen to them. And if it happens, they'll deal with it. And then after it does happen, then they're just going to make some shifts in their business. And one of the easiest shifts is um, just change their pricing um, that makes up for that loss. Um, so, you know, I, I think we're going to see some of that behavior as well. So, so one of the things I know you track, Bob, is the, you know, the privacy enforcement, you know, regulatory environment. Like what's, what's the current state, you know, around the globe, um, around, you know, fines being levied, um, you know, for, uh, in the privacy world. For ransomware or for data privacy? In general, right. Yeah. Date for data privacy. Um, I mean, it's still the same, you know, California, GDPR, um, you know, HIPAA, right? I mean, we still see the same things we've been talking about for years. <clears throat> um, you know, there's some new countries that have popped up with some data privacy laws um, that are like GDPR. But I do think that, um, you know, at least we're seeing this in the evidence of the data that we look at, data breaches is actually coming down. The cost of data breaches coming down year over year. Sure, there's some of the edge case events that are out there, um, but um, but I do think the regulators are um, are being a little bit more subjective in how they're issuing the fines. Um, and um, again, you know, because we track the fines that are being issued, and and we're just not seeing where data breach is really the biggest cost element. Uh, as compared to the other cyber loss categories. Um, so I think regulation, even though it's there, I, I don't know if there's huge enforcement of the regulation. Again, because there's a subjective nature to the fines. Um, the, the only exception to that is Facebook. I mean, Facebook, 
and it was a misuse of data, um, you know, they still stick out like a sore thumb, a $5 billion fine from the Federal Trade Commission. I'm sure it got settled for something less. But, um, you know, that is, that is a true edge case. Um, and so I guess if you're going to watch anybody, watch the Federal Trade Commission because, um, you know, they have this ability to, to issue fines that are unlike what we'd probably see from some of the other regulatory bodies that are out there. Yeah, man. Look, I, I appreciate the insight here, man. It's, 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 I think it's just the privacy space is just going to continue to be a hot, hot topic, you know, over the next couple of years. Um, and so, you know, I appreciate you sharing your, your perspective here on the work that you do in this space to track it, because, you know, when you, you know, having been on the other end of your research, right, it becomes really valuable when I want to make business decisions, you know, <laughs> some of my prior yeah. roles, you know, being able to leverage that data because it, you know, you get to the the, the table and you want to have that conversation. Uh, it's helpful to have that that data behind you. So, all right, folks, we got to take another short break to hear from our sponsors, but don't go away. We'll be right back with more from Chief Analytics Officer of X Analytics, Bob Vessio. You're listening to Task Force Seven Radio, the Voice of Cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com/forward/slash/voiceamerica. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 Hacker Innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at Secure security-innovation.org or Google Sinet, S-I-N-E-T. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America.
You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Ritas. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's Task Force 7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Ritas. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with Chief Analytics Officer of X-Analytics, Bob Vessio. All right, man, we're at the home stretch. It's been great <laughs> on the show. Um, what, what I got to, you know, let me get your take here, man. You're always looking down the road. What, what's the future, you know, look like for, for cyber economics? I do think that here in the United States, there's going to be something passed or at least something that's more voluntary for people to disclose cyber incidents and the cost of cyber incidents. Um, there's just a lot of conversation around it. So I, I think that's to come, which by the way, I think it's a good thing, right? If all of that, that reporting goes to some central place, um, you know, for anybody that's doing cyber economics, you now have a much better data set that you can pull from uh, to populate those backend variables of all the cyber economic models that are out there in the industry. And, and you know, MIT is now trying to do stuff like this. I mean, there's just a whole slew of people that are trying to interface with the data. Um, the, the other thing I think is a, a certain reality about it is that, um, you know, there is this big push to get the results of cyber economic analysis at the board level. So, you know, what is the best way to do that and, and which particular metrics um, resonate with the corporate director so that they can look at it and compare to all other risk in the business um, as well as uh, get an understanding if they need to treat cyber uh, with some greater attention than, than currently exists. So I, I think those are two really big things that are going to happen in the world of cyber economics. And how are you, what's the advice for CISOs to kind of get that thing, get it, get cyber risk broken down to that, you know, one or two things, you know, for the board, like where, where are you honing them into? So what we're finding is that, um, you know, the one metric that really sort of drives a lot of risk management decisions is, is looking at cyber as a loss ratio. And then what that means is you're taking the expected loss of cyber. So expected losses, expected loss across all the corresponding loss categories, ransomware, theft of intellectual property, data breach, business interruption, et cetera. And you look at it over revenue, um, you know, and, and, and that number, once you're looking at it over revenue, now you have the ability to compare it to all of the risk in the business. And businesses have lots of other risks that are beyond cyber. Um, so it allows you to do a, a normalized side-by-side comparison. If you were a big private equity firm and you had a portfolio of companies, it allows you, to, and they all had different revenue, it allows you to take that expected loss over revenue and look at them in a normalized fashion. Um, so I think that loss ratio is, is the one key figure that allows you to look at cyber and, and really make a, a determination of, you know, is it within a risk tolerance that I can accept or is it above a risk tolerance that I cannot accept? And if it is above it, uh, then the next, next course of action is what do I do about it? Which, which areas do I need to prioritize so that I can get that number to come down um, so that it's back within a tolerance level that I can um, be comfortable with? So, man, what's... Uh... What's next for, for X analytics? 
what's next for X analytics? Well, see, now you're getting into the secret stuff, Andy. I, can't <laughs> <the> secret stuff. <laughs> uh, I mean, we're, we're, we're continuing to push on the supply chain ecosystem. I mean, that's big for us. Um, we're definitely pushing into new territories with advanced um, reporting, board reporting, um, because we, again, like, as I mentioned in the beginning, you know, of this particular question, um, you just need to have a better way to report cyber to the corporate directors and the executive leadership team. And, and so that's an area that we're looking at, not only from a, a technical perspective, but also a philosophical perspective, you know, philosophically, what can people relate to? And, and, and once they can relate to it, you know, then, then they're going to be able to make better decisions from it. So there's a little complexity in, in working on that one. Um, you know, the, the, the biggest thing for us, Andy, is, you know, what we do uh, is purely based on the reality that we keep our backend variables tuned and calibrated. Um, and the world is continuing to evolve in the world of cyber. So, um, you know, we're constantly doing research and analysis. Um, we're finding ways to automate our research and analysis so that we can get to conclusions faster. Um, but, um, but just continuing to keep those back in variables calibrated as this world is changing is really our biggest focus. And then as we see evidence of things changing, it's going to lead to other things. It's going to lead to maybe um, other types of questions that we would ask or other products that we need to develop that are uh, you know, currently a gap in the marketplace. Right. But, but it's really that data that's going um, to drive our future and our decisions of where we go in the future. All right. So before I let you go, I got one more question for you. Yeah. So, ask away. so, so look, man, you came, you came out of a global, you know, large global multinational and entered into the startup <laughs> world. And, yeah. you know, that, that's a, that's a scary thing for folks to, to make that leap, you know, and you've done it and you've done it successfully now. And it's been a few years. You know, what, what advice would you give folks that are looking to make the leap into the startup world um, and, and start to play in the entrepreneurial environment? Do it. Just do it. <laughs> um, you know, I, Andy, I mean, I can say this because, you know, we both have families. Uh, we both have responsibilities to our children. So, you know, when you're in that place where you have a very secure paycheck, you know, it's hard to leave. Um, and, you know, and if you have some golden handcuffs as you go through the ranks, it's even harder to leave. But, um, but I think there is a point um, where you have to be willing to pursue your dreams and, and willing to accept that you're going into this unknown territory. And, and if you really have the determination and if you really have the spirit to try to solve problems and, and make new decisions as there's new evidence in front of you, um, I think you can make the entrepreneurial work, world work. Um, so my recommendation is if you really feel that you have that spirit and that drive, then, then go for it. Just, just do it. Even with all the risk in front of you, just do it. Uh, what's the worst that could happen? You end up finding another job at another large corporation, right? In fact, uh, Andy, you and I have seen this so many times where uh, you actually probably end up getting paid more if you bounce from one large company to the next. And if you stay as a loyal employee in that same large company for a very long time. So I, I don't really like when you really look at it from a big picture, I don't think the risk is really that great. But, but my recommendation is just do it. I wish I did it earlier, Andy. I really do. I wish I did it earlier. Um, and, you know, there was some fear uh, that just stopped me from, 
from making that pivot. But, but eventually I got to a place where it was the right answer for me. And, and, and I, and I just, you know, recommend that everybody trust your heart. If you feel like it's the right time, then just do it. Don't second guess and, and don't listen to all the naysayers, just do it and go for it. Well, man, I appreciate you coming back on the show. It's always a pleasure to have you on and, and thanks for, uh, thanks for sharing, man. Yeah, absolutely. Andy, thank you for having me today and uh, hope to talk to you soon. Yeah, buddy. All right, folks, it's time for us to bounce up on out of here. Don't forget to visit aliveshoes.com slash brand slash TF7 to get your favorite pair and your own pair of TF7 sneakers. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.